Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning, church family. Great to be with you guys this morning. I hope you're all having a great Christmas season. Uh, it's Christmas is always December, really one of those weird times where, I don't know about you, but it feels like spiritually we're trying to slow down and reflect on the birth of Jesus. But then physically, it's the most chaotic time with our calendars, right? You're running 100 miles an hour trying to coordinate, you know, work Christmas party, kids Christmas parties and concerts, family Christmas plans, church Christmas plans, finals for some of you. It's just this crazy time. It's that dichotomy of like physical chaos of your calendars, but this inward trying to slow down and really reflect on the reason for the season. Some of you guys feel that tension going on right now. But it's not just our calendars that prove it's Christmas time. Okay, I think for me, the biggest thing that's always the evidence that Christmas season is here is when the nativities start popping up. And I love a great nativity scene. They're such a good visual reminder of kind of what the meaning of the season is. But Christmas nativities have gotten a little out of hand the last few years. Like, think about it. They started as all these, you know, beautiful, eloquent, like, wooden, just little pictures of the manger scene. But now you can't have any outdoor decoration that's not inflatable. Okay, so we're in the time of the inflatable nativity scenes right now. But it's not just outdoor nativities that keep getting modernized. Did you see this one a few years ago? The uh, hipster nativity. Okay, you got the wise men rolling in on their segways. Um, I also love we keep creating the like woodland creature nativity scenes. All right, that Wiseman raccoon has seen some things. Uh, my favorite one that I found was the uh, Canadian nativity scene. All right, you got little baby Jesus on the maple leaf there. And I can't show nativity pictures without my wife's favorite nativity scene, which is the doodle nativity. Look at baby Jesus. He is pretty cute. But I'm all for a great artistic nativity scene. But I think for a lot of us, that nativity scene is really the only part we think of with the Christmas story. The Christmas story, it's really just that one event of everyone around the manger adoring baby Jesus. And that is the climax of the Christmas story. But if you remember from your English class, right, there's the five points to a plot. Okay, anyone like, remember putting countless stories on that little like pyramid thing, right? And what it taught us was this, is that the story doesn't end at the climactic part of the story. There's the falling action, and then there's the resolution that makes it a full story. And it's only the climactic part because you had actually that exposition and that rising action leading up to that amazing part of the story. Well, for a lot of us, I think we start the Christmas story at that climax. Like, Luke is the climactic point of the Christmas story, but it doesn't feel that climactic if we miss all of the leading, rising action going up to it. If the Christmas story just starts in the New Testament, we miss half of the plot that is leading up to that moment. And so that's kind of what we've been trying to focus on this series of Christmas Unwrapped. In fact, we've actually been doing a really similar student, uh, series with our students in Lex City Youth. We this year kind of did a series on the story before the story, so to speak. Um, really talking about with students, we even went to like the Christmas story begins or the exposition, you could say, is all the way back in Genesis in chapter 3, verse 15. And so I won't go there this morning. I'll let you go look on your own this week and reflect on that or just go find a teenager in our church and be like, how does the Christmas story start in Genesis? But I think a lot of times we miss a lot of the buildup leading up to the Christmas story. 
The Old Testament is really what contains that exposition and that rising action that makes the Christmas story this great climactic moment. And one of these rising actions that we've kind of been focusing on throughout this series was this 400 years of silence. There's 400 years in history between what we have as kind of our Old Testament and the beginning of what we have as the New Testament. And this 400 years where Israel was getting no new revelation from God. They still had all the Old Testament scrolls. They could still reflect on his word, but they weren't getting any new words. There was no prophets speaking to them. And so there's this 400 years where Israel has no prophets. They have no king. They have no nation. They're being conquered by other nations, first the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Seleucids and then the Romans. And so really for the Israelites, the Christmas story that we get to celebrate, for them, they're walking into this moment with this feeling of, anticipation of longing, even feelings of abandonment, of where has God been in our lives? And I think for some of us, we, we forget that. We don't bring that part into the Christmas story. Others of you, maybe you're here this morning and you can relate exactly to that feeling. If you're honest, you're feeling like, that's me. I kind of feel like God has abandoned me. I don't hear him in my life. I don't see his hand working in my life. If I'm honest, this is a time where it feels like God is silent. No matter what I'm trying to do, I hear about him working in the Bible and stories, or I hear him working in other people's lives. But for me, I'm coming into this Christmas season feeling like God's just been hands off. He's not there. He's not concerned about what's going on with me. Let me just encourage you, if that's you this morning, you're actually closer to the feeling of Christmas than anybody else. And I hope you'll see by the end of this morning that the Christmas story is hope for you. Others of us, I think we miss that part of the story. We kind of just look at Christmas as just, it's the origin story of Jesus. It's just that chance to reflect on his birth. But we don't always unwrap how God broke this silence as an important part to the story. And so that's what we're looking at through the series. We've looked at Mary and Joseph who have got to hear from God. And we're going get to get to one more probably famous group from this silence-breaking story. The famous little shepherd and their cute little staffs. That's what we think of. And so we're going to be there uh, this morning. So if you, want, if you want to follow along on your phone as we get going, if you go to message notes at lexity.info, you can follow there. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And it's Luke who tells us about the shepherds visiting Jesus. Matthew talks about the wise men, but for some reason, this group of shepherds stands out to Luke and is the group that he includes in his story and what they represent. So as we've been emphasizing each week, Luke was a doctor, okay? So Luke is all about details. His whole point in his message and his letter was to convince people that Jesus really did exist and that he is the savior for everybody. In fact, Luke is so detailed, he is the one who just one chapter later is going to give the entire genealogy from Jesus all the way back to Adam. Okay, Luke's point is Jesus existed, all right? There is no break in the historical timeline. And so shout out to Luke for the research and work of this genealogy. But this detail-oriented guy is the one who talks about these shepherds visiting Jesus in the manger. And I think we're going to see why they stood out to Luke and why he wanted to make sure we knew about it. So we're going to read what Luke writes in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared in the angel, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So here's what we're going to unwrap a little bit together. What's important about the shepherds and what's important about what the angel told them? So first, let's talk about shepherds, okay? We've heard this story so many times. We've seen so many cute nativity scenes that we kind of have this romanticized idea of what the shepherds are. When we hear shepherd, we think, you know, cute little guys who just are gentle and love sheep, okay? If we're honest, when you hear shepherd, this is the image in your mind, okay? That's pretty much what we're all thinking, right? And here's the thing, though. Tradition has led us to think of this romantic, romanticized occupation of shepherd, but historians actually tell us this. Shepherds, and especially night watch shepherds, were among the most socially undesirable classes in the time. In general, shepherds were dishonest, unclean, and represented the outcasts and the sinners of a society. See, a lot of shepherds were actually fugitives that had done something wrong in the city, and so they run out into the hill country to just kind of watch sheep and lay low for a while until things blow over. In fact, if you remember in the Old Testament, this is what Moses does after he kills an Egyptian. If you remember that story, Moses kills an Egyptian, and he runs out into the wilderness to go hide and be a shepherd until ultimately God finds him there and he calls him back to be with his people. And so really, shepherds, and especially shepherds who are working at night, were outcasts. Many times they were criminals. And so think less Fisher-Price little shepherd boy and more like biker gang fugitive type of person in this story. So why does God send an angel to a group of shepherds to tell them about the birth of Jesus? Because it's such a Jesus thing to do. Right? You, all, you know those people who just are always doing things, you're like, that's just such a Jerry thing to do. Well, this is such a Jesus thing to do, because what does Jesus say his purpose in coming is? He says, I come so that everyone could find salvation, that the worst of the worst sinners could be fully forgiven of their sins. So it only makes sense that the very first people that Jesus invites to witness his birth are those types of people. Jesus the God doesn't send an angel to the temple to go tell them about Jesus. He sends them to this group of fugitive outcasts being shepherds out in the hill country. See, the Christmas event, it's not this isolated story. It's connected with every other story of who God is and how God operates. And this point for me, it always reminds me of this video that I love to show our youth group around Christmas time because I just think it's hilarious. So really quick, let me just show you this quick little video with this idea. I wonder what it would be like to be born in a manger. Yeah, I wonder what ever happened to baby Jesus. He, he grew up. 
What? Wait. So you're saying that the baby Jesus Christmas story is the same as the adult walk on water Jesus? Yeah. Thanks, honey. Wow, I just never really put the two concepts together. <laughs> Wonder what happened to that guy, huh? <laughs> he, he went to the cross. That's the same guy? Yeah. So what you're saying is baby Jesus is the same as cross Jesus? Yeah. I mean, there's some time in there, right? I mean, he, he grew up, he taught people, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and came back to life, and, you know, now he lives in our hearts. That's the same guy? The Jesus that lives in our hearts? <sighs> okay, I was really, oh, wow. Okay, I never really put all those guys together, you know? Only one guy. I tell you this. Here's an idea. Maybe we stop just making Christmas all just this once a year isolated thing, but we make it an ongoing story about the salvation in our hearts and lives. Up top. That's the idea. It makes me laugh every single time I watch it. But the idea, right, baby Jesus is the same as cross Jesus. And as silly as that example is, oftentimes we're so guilty of disconnecting those two stories. But the whole point is in, from the very beginning, Jesus came and invited the type of people that he came to die for. From the very beginning of his coming to earth, he's showing us that he came to save the dirtiest, most unaccepted by culture people. And he shows us this by inviting night watch shepherds to be the first to go visit him in the manger. I think this is why the story of the shepherds is so important because it reminds us that God wants everyone to know about Jesus. And he wants everyone to know about Jesus. God chose the type of people that society hated the most to be present in the manger scene, to forever be groups of people that we include in this Christmas story and turn into these little nativity scenes because the shepherds remind us that no one's too bad or too dirty or too messed up to come meet Jesus. The shepherds represented the outcasts, the sinners of a, a society who Jesus came for, and such outcasts were the first to get the good news of Jesus. And Luke's gospel, it's all about, the whole point of his book is he's writing to help people understand Jesus came to save everyone. He didn't just come for the Jewish people. And so you can see why Luke, this group was so important to him. He wanted, when people read his story and read his account of Jesus's life, he wanted them to read from the very beginning when Jesus was born, this group of night watch shepherds were personally invited to be a part of it. This isn't some high class, legalistic, elite religion. Night watch shepherds were the first ones to show up. God literally sends an angel to break the silence and share the good news with an outcast group of fugitives hiding away in the hills. 
And what is the good news? What is it that he was telling the shepherds about? Look back again at verse 10 one more time. This is what the angel says to the shepherds. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah or the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So again, I wanna just briefly look at this good news. What was it? The angel says, I bring you good news for unto you in the city of David, which means Bethlehem, okay? Because that's where David was born. So that's where they knew to go find him. And then he says that um, a savior, Christ the Lord has been born. And here's the interesting part. In the New Testament, this is the only time that those three words are all used together. Savior, Christ, the Lord. And really those three words in themselves are the good news. They explain exactly what Jesus, who he is and what he came to do, right? Savior is his mission. It's what he came to do, to come to be able to save us all. Christ represents his, um, his royalty, that he is the promised son of God. And the word Lord, it describes his authority, that he is God. See, the announcement of Jesus' birth is all good news. Salvation is here because the promised son has arrived and he is God. And that's why he has the power to provide salvation for us. It's not bad news. It's not the angels telling the shepherds, hey, fix yourself. Hey, get yourself together. Clean yourselves up so that you can go meet the Messiah who's here. It's from the very beginning. He says, go. It's good news. The Savior, Christ the Lord, has come so all can be saved. And so here's, I think, the significance of the story. Remember, again, there's been 400 years of silence, and this is the message that breaks that silence. 400 years of Israel feeling like God's forgotten about them, that God isn't in the works, that God isn't moving anymore. And yet he breaks the silence with this message. He says, the Savior, Christ the Lord, is here. What he's saying is, who you've been waiting for is here. What he's saying, I am here. And I think for us in 2023, we look at the Christmas story and we kind of just look backwards as that event. And that's what we think about. But really the Christmas story is less that event and it's more all of the anticipation and the buildup leading to that event. That it is the exciting, great, breaking the silence news that God's people have been waiting for. But for some of us, it doesn't feel like that climactic of a moment because we haven't been following it since the very beginning and all the rising action leading up to it. But if you have, then this is the part of the plot where you go, I didn't see that coming. This is amazing. Like that good news that they've been waiting for for years has finally showed up. But now for us, we haven't been living in 400 years of silence. So what does the story mean to us? What do we take away from it? So let me just give you kind of two things to reflect on this week. And the first is this. It's just the truth that God has broken the silence. God has broken the silence and he has broken it forever. He came and by tangibly coming to earth to provide salvation for us, to die as the punishment for the mistakes that we had made, the the tearing of the relationship with God that we had created, he comes to make spiritual union with the perfect God possible again. Now his spirit, it dwells in us and it works in the world. And so while we don't necessarily have new books of the Bible being written, God is no longer silent. 
He's created the ability for us to have personal relationship with him, again, so that you don't need a prophet. You don't need an inspired author to give you the words of God. You have direct access to him now through personal relationship, again. And so if you're here this morning and you're feeling like God has been silent, the Christmas story is the evidence that he isn't. He has broken that silence forever. That's his promise to us because the Savior, Christ the Lord, has come and the silence is no more. And so the question is, if God is not silent, how do we learn to hear him? So for today, let me just give you three, three ways, three quick ways to just be able to hear from God who's speaking. And the first is just the Bible. Okay, this is still, this is God's word to us. These are stories, their guidance, their wisdom that he wants to share with us. And so grow your understanding of who God is and who he says you are by reading the words that he's given us, that he's passed down to us. So no, he's not writing new books of the Bible, but this book is alive. It's living in the sense of every time you go to it, you will get something new. You will understand something different based on just how your relationship with him has been growing. And so get into his word. The other way is just prayer. And prayer is this extremely simple and extremely complicated thing. Extremely simple in the fact it's just you talking to God. It's you sharing what's on your heart, you connecting with his heart. It's complicated in the fact I can't tell you exactly how it works. And there's a lot of times when you get done praying, you don't immediately feel like, wow, everything changed in my life. But the promise is this, it's 100% true that God hears everything you say, everything you think, and he asks you to just talk to him and he will speak back. And so take time to just talk with God and just sit and listen to the things that he impresses on your heart. A third way that he speaks to us is through godly community. And this is why groups are so important. This is why we do life groups as a church because God all the time uses other people to speak to us. But if you aren't in any type of godly community, you don't have any type of godly people that speak in your life, who's he gonna use to talk to you? See, I think a lot of Christians cut out this entire language that God uses to speak to them because they just don't have people in their community. And so get in community, get in to people that you can trust, that can speak into you, that God can use to speak to you. So if you're feeling like God has been silent for a while, that's actually what the Christmas story is about. That's why the Christmas story is so important because it's the encouragement that he is not, that he has broken that silence. And so if you're sitting in that silence, keep seeking God in all three of those ways because he's gonna speak to you a different way on a different day. Someday it's gonna be what you read. Some days it's gonna be your time in prayer. Sometimes it's gonna be a way that someone speaks to you, but keep seeking him in all the ways that he speaks to us because God promises those who seek him will find him. He says, for those that knock, the door will be opened. And so keep uh, genuinely seeking after him. He promises you will find him because he is speaking. We just need to learn how to listen. So that's what the Christmas story reminds us, that silence is broken. It has forever been broken. And then secondly, it reminds us this, that Jesus came for everyone. He, he came for everyone. Why are the shepherds in the Christmas story? Because it's so Jesus it's typical Jesus to have the first moments of his life on earth be surrounded by the people who he came to save in the first place. The most undeserving by cultural standards, the most hated by society, those who had done so many things wrong, they were out hiding. He invites them to be the first ones to come meet him and welcome him into this time. And so when you hear the Christmas story, 
you should be thinking, typical Jesus. He would invite the shepherds. Of course he would. Because here's the thing. The shepherds remind us that Jesus created access to God for everyone. If a group of shepherds were invited to meet Jesus, he's inviting everyone to come meet Jesus. The Christmas story is all good news. The Savior, Christ the Lord, is the good news. And he's here for everyone. He's for shepherds. He's for wise men. He's for religious leaders. He's for sinners. He's for influential politicians. And he's for outcasts of society. Jesus came to provide salvation for every one of the children that he created and that he loves. And so from the very beginning, he invites a group that no one else would have even have told that he had showed up. So when you tell people about the Christmas story or you're reflecting as a family on the Christmas story this year, are you telling and reflecting on the good news? That Jesus' birth means we now all have access to God and it's not about how good we are. God purposely invites sinners to be there when he's born. Ultimately, Jesus is gonna go die on the cross for the sins of those very people. And at the very beginning, he's reminding us he surrounds himself with the type of people he came to die for. Jesus invited shepherds to his birth to remind us that no one's too dirty, too sinful, or too bad that Jesus doesn't want a relationship with them. And that's true of who God is. Again, that's the same Jesus as the baby, as cross Jesus, as future King Jesus. That's who he's always been. The Christmas story is evidence of God's love for us and the reality of a personal relationship with the God of the universe and that he's inviting us in to that. Maybe you're thinking, though, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe? It just means this. It means believing that baby Jesus really did grow up and live a perfect life like the Bible tells us, that he really did die on the cross as a sacrifice and for our sins, for our mistakes that we made, and that he really did rise again from the dead like he promised that he would. And because he did that, we now get to have the ability to be in a perfect relationship with this perfect God again. And so if you're here this morning and you're feeling like God is silent or he's been absent in your life, or maybe if you're honest, you've just been feeling like I am too dirty, I've messed up too big, I am too terrible of a person that God wouldn't even want anything to do with me. He says, look at the shepherd. Those are proof that if I invite shepherds to my birth, I want you to come be a part of this relationship too. It's always been who God is. And so he invites this fugitive night watch shepherd to be the first of his arrival. And so he's not afraid of what you're bringing to the table. So this morning as we close, we're just gonna have a time of prayer. And if you are sitting here and you're like, I've never really actually believed that that's who Jesus was and that he has the ability to give me a relationship again with God and have that eternal life with him, I'm just gonna give you a chance to pray. And it's not magic words. It's not saying these right things in the right order. It's just you confessing with your heart, God, I believe this. This is what I've been missing. This is, oh, I really understand now what we're celebrating over Christmas. You can kind of just pray what I pray out loud or just in your heart, but we'll all just close our eyes and just pray something along. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I thank you that you forgive me for all the mistakes I've made. I'm sorry for all the wrong things I've done in my life. But I believe you took my sin and you died as a sacrifice for me. I believe that you rose again like you promised that you would. 
because of that, my sin is now forgiven. I ask that you would forgive me and give me the gift of eternal life. Pray that you would help me live a new life that's committed to following you. Thank you for loving me so much that you would come and die for me. Amen. Here's what I would ask. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, we're so excited for you. There's, this will be the best Christmas to be able to really understand what, there's a meaning behind what Christmas is for you this year. And so what we would love for you to do in the seat backs in front of you, there's just a little card that says life's complicated. We know a guy. If you fill it out and take it to the Welcome Center, we've just got a free gift of a little book for you called The Decision that just helps you see like what next? Okay, you just started this relationship with God. How do you get into it? What do you read? How do you understand the Bible? And so we'd love just to give you this little free gift. So just take that out to the Welcome Center. But for all of us this morning, as we look at those cute nativity scenes throughout this week, and you see those little shepherd, whether they're inflatable or raccoons or faceless food, you know, wood figurines, whatever they are, let them remind you that Jesus invited fugitive shepherds to welcome him into this world. And if he's willing to invite them in, he's willing to bring in whatever you're walking in with. He's invited, he's not afraid of what you bring to the table. Christmas is not about having it all together spiritually so that you can honor God. In fact, the worse you probably feel spiritually right now, the closer you are to who the shepherds were. Okay, no matter where you're at this Christmas season, whether no matter how bad of a year you've had, no matter how low you felt, no matter how many mistakes you've been trying to hide, look at the shepherd and be reminded that Jesus says, you're invited. Come back, come. This is a chance to come and adore Jesus, who's the same as cross Jesus, right? He came so that we could have the good news that the Savior, Christ the Lord, has come. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just thank you for the truth of your word this morning. God, thank you for the visible, tangible reminder that the shepherds play in the story of your coming to earth. That you remind us from the very beginning there were none who were too dirty, too messed up, too sinful to be invited to you. God, as we reflect on the birth of Jesus this year, let us look at it with an excited anticipation that the good news has arrived, that the Savior, Christ the Lord, has brought salvation and relationship with you possible again. Thanks for coming to us when we couldn't come to you. Lord, we love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.